When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Andrew Griffiths. Andrew is a best-selling author, entrepreneur and global presenter who loves nothing better than helping businesses both big and small succeed. He's perhaps Australia's most prolific small business author, with some 14 books to his name, and his latest tome, Someone Has to Be the Most Expensive, Why Not Make It You, is one that is sure to resonate with anyone looking at how to price their products or services. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful to be here, Sess. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Now, let's get right into it. Um, You, I don't know how you actually find time to do this, but you've written how many books now? 14, is it? Well, 14 that I'll admit to. There's actually more. There's like 20 books, but some of them I wouldn't admit. I've written a book about Australian slang, um, uh, just um, animal encounters and things like that. My my best-selling book was about Australian animals that I wrote for a photographer friend of mine, but none of that aligns with me as a business writer. So 14 business books, we'll we'll call it. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you realise you actually had this passion for sharing your knowledge via a book? Because you you were so busy. We were just talking before this about all the hats we all wear and you wear Mm. a lot of hats, but then you also write all these books. You probably... Uh, our leading um, business book author, to be honest. Uh, I, I am. Officially in Australia, I am the number one small business author for the number of books number of books sold and the, where they're sold around the world, apparently. Um, look, I think it's like everyone. You know what it's like when you're telling me what you have to do, all, all of your hats and roles and responsibilities. The thought of doing it all for me was overwhelming. And, and I'm, you know, as you say, a busy guy. But at the time, when I wrote my first book, it was actually a time management tool more than anything else because I wrote a book, 101 Ways to Market Your Business, about a 1,000 years ago. <laughs> and, and and it came from me um, answering the same questions all day long. I'm seeing all of my small business clients and they're asking, how do I make a brochure? Um, how do I do a brand? How do I... How do I do a sales call? How do I do all of these things? And so I was just repeating that same conversation. So I started to write these fact sheets and, and I would have a fact sheet on doing all of those things. And people could ring up and say, look, I've got this problem. I need help with this, but I've got no money. Can you help me? And so <laughs> the standard, and I'm going, well, I didn't realize I was a not-for-profit, but apparently I am. And uh, so anyway, I, I did these fact sheets. I had 50 of them one day looking over at the wall. And I thought, oh, if I wrote another 50 of those and I put them into a book, I could probably call it like 101 Ways to Market Your Business. And that's exactly what I did. And it was just really simple and easy advice, very practical, because my clients didn't want a textbook on marketing. They, they didn't want to know 
the four P's of marketing. They didn't want to know the latest research from Harvard University on marketing. They wanted simple, practical tips. And and that's what I'm about. I, I'm a street smart kind of marketer. I'm about, you know, do this, get this result now. Um, and so the first book came. I was lucky I got it published. It was amazingly successful. I didn't think anyone would buy it. And, um, and of course... There was no pressure in writing it because I didn't think anyone would read it. Now <laughs> I feel the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know. God. Now, at your latest book, I love the title, Someone Has to Be the Most Expensive, Why Not Make It You? <laughs> mm. and this, this is a book that I've been meaning to write for many, many years because I, I struggled with, with charging what I was worth. I bought my first business when I was 17. I bought a dive shop. You know, 30 miles from the ocean is my standing joke, you know, saying that shows the level of my business acumen um, <laughs> at the time. But it was, I, I had a poverty mentality growing up as a kid, had one of those kind of childhoods where, you know, self-worth was questioned and I didn't really get value. I didn't have any business real, there were no business role models in my life. But I just, I just learned from the guy that I bought the business from and he had a poverty mentality and his whole mindset was, to be successful in business, you've got to be the cheapest. It's the only way to get customers. Mm. So I, I inherited that thinking. And, um, and of course, it's terrible thinking. Now, now I realize that. But I, I had to virtually go broke to, to turn the business around and go from being the, most, the cheapest to the most expensive. And it worked unbelievably well for me. Um, but it carried on. But I, I never really, I, I believed it, but I, I never wrote about it or even spoke about it a great deal until... Um, the last 20 years or so when I've been doing a lot of presenting around the world and I've worked with you know, hundreds of thousands of business owners that I've presented in front of, this comes up time and time again. There's, I'm super busy, but I'm not making any money. Or I'm, I see great businesses, like really, really good businesses, and they're giving away what they do. They just don't value what they do enough. And, uh, and to be honest, it actually kind of breaks my heart because I see great people doing great things stuck in that in that low paid cycle working their bum off in their business and I go people will find you and pay for quality now more than ever and so I'm a bit of an evangelist about encouraging people to start charging what they're worth even now in the midst of when there's a bit of economic gloom and uncertainty if you're great at what you do and you're prepared to charge accordingly for it there are always people that are going to find you and pay you and respect you for what you do. That's certainly my experience and my opinion. Yeah, why do you think there is this reticence to actually value what we do and charge mm. what we're worth? I think it's a really good question and I think there's a few things. One is it's a lot of the time it's our inherent um, limiting beliefs. You know, a lot of people struggle with self-worth. A lot of people, um, you know, uh, just find it up particularly creatives I find um kind of go oh well you know why, why would anyone you know pay a lot of money for for my stuff um so there can be self-worth issues self-confidence issues you know that kind of stuff comes into it sometimes says I think it's as simple as people don't have an alternative plan their only strategy is to be the cheapest and, and that to me is not a strategy that's a that's a recipe for disaster um being the cheapest because when you're the cheapest, you you attract the wrong customers. You, you attract the people that are really only interested in cheap. There's always going to be someone cheaper than you. And, and so the other thing is when you've got nothing but cheap customers, they refer you to their cheap friends. So it becomes this, 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 this never-ending cycle. So, 
so so we might have that as a bit of a mentality. I think sometimes it's it's a belief system. So when I had my dive shop all those years ago, a dive course was ex- expected to be about $299. So this is mm-hmm. 35 years ago. I drove past a dive shop in Hobart the other day and on the window it said dive course is $299. Now, you know, 35 years later, tell me. Oh, my God. Tell me How? The, exactly, right? And, and there's a limiting belief about what people will be prepared to pay. And this is the thing. People go, how they set their pricing around what they think you can afford to pay as opposed to what you should be charging. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if your self-worth and limiting beliefs and, you know, maybe, you know, we're not that good or whatever it might be kicking into play, you'll always err on the side of cheaper. And, uh, and that's when it really comes unstuck. So there's lots of reasons that people undercharge. And sometimes we listen too much to what others are saying. Um, it, it can be that, you know, people, oh, unless you, it's a tough market, no one's buying these blanket statements, which of course are just ridiculous. Hmm. I find if your model is to really charge what you're worth and ideally be the most expensive, and the caveat here is if you're going to be the most expensive, you've got to be the best, you know, you will never be without clients. They will find you. But being the best is the key to, mm. to that recipe. But even just charging more for what you do. Uh, I mean, I work with a lot of businesses and that's the first thing I do is look at their pricing and I say, you've got to charge more. And they go, oh, no, we can't. Well, you know, no, no, oh, no. And, and as soon as they, they trust me enough to do it, they go, we should have done this 10 years ago. We should have put up our prices, you know, all that time ago. So it's a very complex kind of a thing that's also very simple. Just charge more for what it is you do and deliver more. <laughs> what do you think it is about the idea that scares people why are they why uh, apart from those you know limiting beliefs mm. is it are they thinking you know oh the the market sets the price and everyone else is cheap mm. i can't be expensive is it things like that it, totally it, it, it is it's like people won't pay for that um you know the, the the fear factor i'll lose all of my customers you know that's the thing if i put up my prices I, i've gone through this with so many businesses over the years I have never seen a business lose all of its customers. It's like rebranding. People say, oh my God, if we change the name of the business, I'll lose all my customers. If you lose all your customers simply because you change the name of your business, then you haven't got those customers anyway. Yeah. So with, with most, most businesses, from my experience, they've got two types of customers. They've got that type that are great, that respect them, that will gladly pay more for what they do, that are really our great customers. You know those ones that we all go, oh, I got an email from them. You smile, you're happy. It's a really nice interaction. They pay you on time. It's a respectful relationship. The other kind of customer is typically those that want everything done last minute. It's a constant negotiation on price. They really try to get out of paying what they should be paying. They take forever to pay you, all of those kind of issues. They're the ones that we tend to lose when we put up our prices, the second type. And they're the ones we want to lose. Yeah. You know, we don't want them, right? And, and again, that's what people say to me all the time. Oh, my God, I lost some customers when I put up my prices. I'm stoked. I lost George. He's such a pain. He's the most difficult customer, never pays. I've always, you know, and and he, now he said, no, you're too expensive. I'm going elsewhere. I've done a happy dance. You know, but, but, so, so this is a little bit of do we have the customers we want or the customers we deserve? You know, mm-hmm. and, and if we're not proactive about this, we kind of end up with the ones we deserve in, in reality, which I know is a little bit harsh, but but it's true. I've seen this to be a universal consistency across businesses all around the world, actually. Do you think um, people might be scared to kind of implement this approach, though, at the moment because of, 
you know, everyone's tightening their belt, the economic impacts, or do you think that actually people are going, I want a quality service and I'm prepared to pay for quality? Uh, Again, I think that's a really fabulous question. And and I think it's very, very easy to get caught up in the, the tough economic times. But I think charging what you're worth so that your business is more profitable, so you attract better customers, so you enjoy your business more. So all of those things is actually a future-proofing strategy. And it's a strategy that uh, I help many businesses do this during the global financial crisis, uh, which was a very tough time financially. And even now, and, and so I do believe, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's the right time or the wrong time. I think it becomes a convenient thing to hide behind. Like mm. right at the moment, everyone's got to be putting up their prices because the cost of everything is going up. Mm. And, and like that alone is a reason to be charging more for what it is that you do. But the problem is that people aren't very good at putting up their prices. And so they they try to avoid it so, and do things like, oh, we haven't put our prices up for 10 years. Now we're putting up and we're putting them up by 50%. And you're kind of going, well, if you put them up by five or 10% every year for the last 10 years, you'd be much better off. It's, you, you know, it's a, it's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. So, so the concept of putting your prices up now, it's not like, I, I use the saying, you can't just put lipstick on a wombat, right? And expect <laughs> to charge the same, right? You, you've got to be able to turn around and go, okay, well, if you're going to put your prices up, you've got to have a bit of a process. And of course, that's what I talk about it in, in, the, in the book. But it's really about, you know, you've got to understand and you've got to show your customers the value. You can't just say, well, we charge you $5 for this cup of coffee, coffee today. Now it's $10. You know, we, we have to, we've got to share some more stories about our business, why it is we do this, why we're good at what we do. We've got to let our customers know that we're on their side. We've got to let them know where we're going, what we're doing, why we're worth more, you know, how we do it. And I've seen people do this really, really well in various companies and businesses around the world. What they do is they change the narrative. But the real thing is we've got to change the narrative in our own head. And so, well, okay, if I'm charging this now and there's all this kind of fear about the economy and all the rest of it, and, and there's a lot of discussion around that, if you you know just put up your prices overnight, I call it like stealth price increases, people actually get kind of grumpy with you. you know. Yeah. And it's like, well, really? You, you take your customers along, you explain to them, you say, look, you know, we're going to be offering this, we're going to be doing this, we're doing more, we're investing more. To do that, it's going to cost a little bit more but we're going to give you better value. We're going, to, we're going to make the experience better for you. And that's where you can't just put lipstick on a wombat. Hmm. So, but, yeah, sorry, Cess. Uh, I was just going to say, what about if um, you're not a physical business, you're, you operate in the online space? Do the same kind of rules apply? Same principles. So, same rules, 100% for me. You know, what, what the customers want to know is – there's a lot of things that value they want to understand value we're in a value-driven world more than a price-driven world no matter what that the economic times are and and i mentioned this as a a future-proofing strategy for small business owners and that is that if you understand why your customers value you it is rarely about the product or the service it's about things like your your, your experience, how long you've been doing what you're doing, your expertise, you've got unique knowledge, your consistency. You, you know those sites, websites that you might buy from? They just are all together. You put an order, it, it's processed, it's shipped, it's done, and you go, man, I'll pay extra for these because it's so consistent and reliable and safe. 
Whereas the other sites you buy from, the booking process is complicated. You never quite know. Then you find out they haven't got it in stock after you've paid for it. You, mm-hmm. you wait three months and it hasn't, you know, and, and you go, well, there's, how do I value that business? I think the, the interaction, the customer experience, the, um, the energy involved, whether it be an online business or a face-to-face business, I, I actually say there's like 10 different ways that we're valued outside of the product or service that we sell. And, and if we understand that the more people value us, the, the, more, the more they're prepared to pay for what it is that we do, but also the more likely they are obviously to refer us and to um, you know, tell their like-minded friends about us, et cetera. So, so looking at value with a fresh set of eyes is a keen part of this as well. So there's, there's a bit to it, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> definitely sounds like it. So mm-hmm. um, you spoke about, you know, taking the customers on that journey with you, like uh, mm-hmm. giving them a narrative as to why you're changing the prices, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Are there kind of particular processes you would suggest that businesses follow in sure. that? Let me just share very briefly a story with a company that I met in Japan. And, uh, and this is a, an amazing um, company. They own a lot of restaurants, a restaurant chain around, um, around Japan. Like, I think it's like 4,000 restaurants. It's really big. Anyway, they, they had reached a stage where the, the pressure from their customers was mounting to deliver the, the food cheaper and faster. And, you know, every year with their customer satisfaction surveys, it was like, oh, we want the food faster and we want it cheaper. And this is a big organization. And they were saying, well, okay, we, we, we're at the crossroads now where we are actually going to become a fast food business. And they go, but we don't want to do that. You know, we, we've been, we've got farms that we own, organ- everything's organic. We, you know, we've been around for 200 years. We've, you know, an incredible history. But our customers are saying we want fast, 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 cheap, cheap, cheap. And they had to make a decision. Do we become a McDonald's you know, or do we, do we tell a different narrative? And they decided to tell a different narrative. And they did this with one particular dish. They had this soy dish, uh, sorry, um, tofu dish. And so in store, they trained all their staff to start telling the story about the food. They had in-store videos and they showed the, the soya bean farmers who'd been growing these soybeans for eight generations they took people on tours of the farms they showed the process to turn soybeans into tofu they had in-store material stuff on the website and their message was that we make the best tofu in the world our tofu dishes are the best tofu dishes in the world but to buy from us to to eat at our restaurant it's going to take a little bit longer for your meal and it's going to cost a little bit more and and they changed their customers thinking with that simple kind of messaging in the first year of doing that campaign on that one tofu dish in particular, they increased their sales by $30 million. Well, but what they, what they also did, though, it, they, they completely changed their customers' opinion and, and demands kind of thing for that restaurant. Their customers now said everything comes out. We don't mind if it takes longer and we're happy to pay more because we understand quality. And this is where we come and eat when we want quality food. This is where we want organic food. This is where we want it. So they they changed the, the entire customer perception. And you're talking hundreds of thousands of customers here when you think about it. And the business has boomed ever since. Now, I think that principle applies for all of us, that we've got to tell the stories more and look, I know that anyone listening to, to this podcast is very familiar with the concept of storytelling, but what I'm really saying here is, is targeted storytelling. 
And you've got to let people know, you know, again, about, about your business. Let them in. Show them the story of who you are and what you do, why you do it, and why, you know, you're worth more, you know, in reality. Why there's value behind you. You've got to tell people your, you know, your origin story, you know, the background about who you are. You let people in and they form an emotional relationship with you. These people in Japan now, instead of just buying a plate of tofu in a meal, had an emotional connection with the business going back to the farm, the cows, the, the eight generations of tofu maker, the mountain water that they use, the, you know, all at the base of Mount Fuji. It's, you know, all of this stuff. So we've got to tell, excuse me, a better story and lots of different stories. The, the story about our team, the story about our products, the story about our, our customers, the story about why we do what we do, the story about why we make a difference in our community. All of those create a deeper level of engagement and people will value us in a different way. If we tell nothing of that stuff and we're just focused on the product and or the service or whatever it might be, there's no emotion to that. It's just a transaction. So we have to move from transactions to experiences and storytelling is a great tool for that. Mm. So it, almost your um, your why, your purpose for the business should be what is front-facing? Yeah, I, I, I well, yes and no. I, I think that it's, it is definitely the front-facing, but also um, I, I think that we, we love that connection to find out why people do what they do, which is maybe like the origin story. Um, if you, you know, if you go to fifty accountants' websites, you know they're, they're basically all the same, right? They're all going to say the same thing. We do tax. There'll be there'll be a photograph on the front page of you know two hands shaking, and and it'll be basically we're the same same. And we're extraordinarily good at telling potential customers how we're exactly the same as our competitors. Now, I've spoken at many conferences for financial planners, accountants, lawyers, et cetera. I say, if I pulled up 10 of your websites now, they're all going to say the same thing and basically have the same images. So how does someone decide? Well, they decide on price, right? They decide on other things if everything else is the same. Every hotel has a photograph of a, an empty bed, of an empty restaurant, of a pool, and, you know, and, some, and a smile and a reception. If we can do things differently, and to me, that's where telling our stories differentiates us. My name's Andrew. I've been an accountant for 20 years. But 20 years ago, I, how did I get into that? How did my path lead me into this? I love watching my dad who was working you know, in, in his business and, and he was you know, running a, a, a deli or something. You know, that, that backstory. My, my partner's a, um, a clothing designer and she tells this great story about how she used to you know, sit and watch her mum making clothes you know, but in the, at a time when people made a lot of their own clothes and the sewing machine came out and the table's covered in you know, fabrics and beautiful things. and rah, rah. The backstory is actually really interesting to people. And, and, and that's that everything changes once we know a bit of backstory and we let a little bit more detail. It's like for me, you know, when I say to people, look, I'm a commercial diver by trade. People don't kind of get that when they think about being a book writer on marketing or, or whatever, you know, it may be. We let people in, they know more about us, that creates connection and engagement. And of course, it's a whole other wonderful topic. Mm. That's a story for another day. How did that pathway diverge? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Through a couple of nitrogen bubbles, you know, <laughs> that's, that, that was it. I got decompression sickness, couldn't dive anymore and, and got into marketing, you know. It, was, it seemed to be the logical career path. 
Funny, funny. But, Diver, marketer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. I, and, and at the time, I was working for a big Japanese company and they said, when I got decompression sickness and I couldn't dive anymore, they said, you got a big mouth, we'll put you into sales and marketing. And I was actually, <laughs> I was much better at sales and marketing than I was at diving. So, um, so, so that became this natural progression. And isn't it, it's one of those wonderful things in life that at the time, it was the worst thing that I was so de- depressed and upset that I'd lost my diving career, resentful, grumpy. It was their fault. You know, all of that usual kind of stuff. Blame, 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 victim, victim, victim. And of course, it was the turning point in my life. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm grateful to those bubbles every single day in my life. <laughs> That's not something you hear every day. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Isn't that, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> um. Now, what about if I'm a new business owner, um, just starting my my journey? Mm-hmm. How do I go about setting the right price? How do I determine what I'm worth? And also, how do I make sure that I I appear as credible and trustworthy to a customer? Mm. Great, a big question. Yeah, and, sorry. And, and, no, no, that, that's okay because I think you're right. You hit the elements there. Whether you're a brand new, it's easier when you've been around for a while, isn't it? You know, I've been around 20 years. I've got a million testimonials. I've got this, you know, all these, you know, those experienced businesses have got a bit more fodder to be able to use. But it's very interesting because one thing that I see a lot now, and I talk about the hipster revolution in my uh, in my book, I love hipsters. You know, I love hipsters and, and I know I'm being very general here um, because to me that they epitomize this concept of not being afraid of charging what you're worth. I, I got a shave in, a, in, a, in an alley in Melbourne, you know, a couple of years ago, pre-COVID. It was like $75 for a shave. And I'm going, seriously? You know, but <laughs> there was a line of, of dudes with beards and, and buns out the front, you know, waiting. Like, you just couldn't get into this joint. I paid 30 cents for a shave in India. Now I'm paying $0.75, cents, $75 for a shave in the back street of Melbourne. So so these, these hipsters are much more aware and, and they, they have this wonderful ability to have energetic businesses, tell great stories, and to charge what they're worth. They, 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 I, I see that in hipster-driven businesses, and I'm not being derogative in the size because I love the hipster um, business mentality. And I think what I mean by this is there's a lot of people starting in business. Now, tough times, people start in businesses. Um, it happens all the time. So, so the most important thing for credibility when you're new, you've got to look the part, you've got to invest in having really a great brand. To me, you know, quality brand, quality images, if you're going to have a website, it's got to really look the part. You can't scrimp you know, you've, if you haven't got 100 testimonials, everything else has to look really credible. But you've got to tell your startup story again. You've got to say why you're doing this. You've got to say what you're passionate about. And that's what you'll notice in new businesses starting today that don't have a long history. They do tell their story about why. Why did the lawyer stop being a lawyer and now they've got 30 cows and they're making camembert cheese, that the best camembert cheese in, the, in Australia that they're selling at the Mulaney markets? What's their passion coming out? So our story goes, well, you know, there's no logic in going from a lawyer to being a camembert, you know, grower or being a commercial diver and becoming a marketer, but the story captures and engages. So if you've got a great story, you can tell stories about why you do and how you're doing your products and your service and what makes you different and add that to a really good brand 
Invest some money in, in a decent website. Invest some money in a good logo and brand because credibility is around that. Some video, anything that you can do to get people to be able to connect with you. I think that's that's really a great start to for a new business. Um, and, and when it comes to setting your pricing, what we generally do is we see what everyone else is charging and then we just charge just a little bit below it. And we use the, use the justification of, well, I'm new, so I've got to charge less. I don't agree with that as, as a particular model. I think the most important thing is to really know your numbers, know how much that cup of coffee costs to make, know how much it costs you to operate your business per hour. You know, know, know that exactly. You've got to know the cost and then you've got to say, well, okay, I'm going to charge accordingly, but I'm going to make sure that I offer ordinary, ex exceptional value. I'm going to look for ways to offer great value. I'm, I'm going to tell great stories. I'm going to really do what others won't do. And, and then I can charge more because I'll attract the value-driven customers who want to buy from me as opposed to the ones who are looking for cheap. Mm. Great advice, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know you've got to dash off to a flight, so I'm not going to keep you any longer. But I really appreciate um, this chat this morning. There was oh. so much valuable advice for the listeners. Pleasure, pleasure, and sorry, sorry to sorry to uh, to talk at you. You know, in a, <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a great topic, and I I love talking about anything to do with helping business owners and. Um, you know, and, and even kind of challenging the status quo a little bit. And, and I like more and more as I get a bit older, you know, th there's a lot of things that people do in business that I, I think if they just changed a little bit, it, their business could become so much easier. And charging what you're worth is one of those. Once you start to charge what you're worth and your business becomes more profitable, everything gets easier. Everything mm. gets easier. So someone has to be the most expensive. Why not make it you? Where can we buy it? Uh, everywhere, Amazon, Booktopia, um, bookshops, my site. It, it's 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 everywhere. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Andrew. All right. Have a have great a, flight. Thank you. You have a great day. Thanks for having me on the show.